Welcome back to the Aware Audio Experience. My name is Sean. I'm here with Reed. Reed, who's our guest today? Today we're talking with Scott Johnson. He's a creator and a person living with diabetes and a general man of wisdom. And we're excited to hear his story, learn a bit about his background. So Scott, why don't you give us an intro and share a bit more about yourself? You're very kind. Thank you. I, I think of you both as, as very wise and kind people as well. So this will be fun. It's part of the reason you're here. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, work with Reed. That's kind of how we got to know each other. And, and we work in the diabetes space. And I happen to live with diabetes. I've lived with diabetes since I was five years old. So that's uh, doing a little bit of mental math. It's been a little over 40. I'm approaching my 41st anniversary or diversary, as we call it, of living with diabetes. And living with a, a chronic condition like diabetes teaches a lot of life lessons along the way, creates a lot of opportunities for for growth and learning and, and struggles and things like that. But I also enjoy learning and I kind of seek that learning wherever I can, both from people I'm around and, and, and as many other places as I can get my hands on it as well. And I also enjoy a, a spiritual side of life. So I'm a, I'm a believer and, and uh, need to tune into that, into that source as well. Um, and that's an important part of my life as well. And you've developed a bit of a following in the diabetes space. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, in the early 2000s, I was really struggling with coping with diabetes. And through therapy and through a bunch of kind of trial and error, I found writing to be a really powerful therapeutic tool for me. And, and I, I would say even more specific than writing, blogging was helpful. And this was around the same time as, as some of the tools like WordPress and, and Blogger hit the scene. And so I just kind of got lucky in, in the timing there and started sharing my story of living with diabetes in a way that other people could read it and connect. And, and through that, started connecting with other people with diabetes. And I was one of the early people to start blogging with diabetes. I want to be very clear that, that people have been communicating about life with diabetes in, in open places for long before I, I have. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, you know, I, I didn't do anything new, but it was just, it was, it was one of the early blogs, specific blogs about diabetes. But I found that connection with other people with diabetes to be really, really powerful. It, it, it helped me see that I wasn't alone in the world with diabetes and that the things that I was struggling with, other people were struggling with as well. So it gave me a sense of normalcy and, and also helped me see problems from many other perspectives. And that was really, really powerful for me and help, helped me kind of continue to keep pushing forward when I would get stuck on things. And it's just grown and grown, right? I mean, it's grown past just blogging, right? You got into other mediums too. I know you did a lot of video content. And I mean, for the audience, don't want to downplay it. I've heard stories where Scott Johnson is identified in the street as you know, that guy. I like to be humble about it. And, and I think that it's all relative, right? So compared to other people in the space that I look up to, I'm I'm nobody, but maybe compared to somebody else that hasn't started yet, they look up to me. But it's all, it's all a journey. It's all relative to where you are. And there's all those sayings of, you know, you don't compare your start to someone else's middle or ending. There's mm. so much power in people's stories. The fact that 
we can tell those stories in so many different ways. You know, I did a lot of the a lot of the video content was specific to I did a big bike ride through Death Valley in 2019. And there was a fundraising aspect to that where I needed to tell a compelling story. And it was fun to just capture that story in a compelling way. Right. But also I needed to help compel people to donate to the cause and, and raise some money for for the, the JDRF, which was the organization that we were riding for. And it was a fun it was a fun way to, to do that. But you're right, it, it's led to some speaking opportunities, publishing articles in a few magazines, you know, um, it, it actually even led to my employment at my sugar and, and and Roche. So it's created many, many opportunities that I'm very thankful for. And you know, who knows where it'll go from here. Mm. Yeah, and I want to I want to backtrack to maybe folks that listen might not have a deep understanding of diabetes. And I and I also don't want to hyper focus on that in specific, I know you're so much more than a person living with diabetes, I, but you know that that does happen to be an interesting, I think, part of the of this particular story. I guess for me, what I always had a cursory understanding of diabetes, and I even studied biology in school, and and I studied that from a high level of disease state. But it wasn't until I started working at My Sugar that I really got a better appreciation and grew more empathy for how stressful and how challenging it can be to manage diabetes. And you've talked about this part of your mind that never turns off, that is always running calculations. And, you know, the next nearest thing I could relate that to as a person without a chronic disease would be almost like COVID for me as I'm constantly thinking of, oh, I have to sanitize my hands or it's, it's this whole work set that you have running on your mind. And I mean, to get tasks with that, even at a young age, that's gotta be a lot to wrap your head around. I mean, that's a stressful thing. And yeah, you're right. It's, and I, and I think of course, being diagnosed at such a young age, much of that burden was on my parents. I was so fortunate and so blessed to be raised by amazing parents who could do that work. And, and also helped me live a, a, as normal of a childhood and grow up in a in an amazing place where I was well cared for and and you know they worked really hard to make sure I had that I felt as as normal as possible with diabetes and so I look back on my childhood as as not a childhood with diabetes of course it was but. It was just a normal childhood and, you know, like comma and with diabetes, right? So, but then as, as I got older and had to take on more of that on my own, then kind of the reality of it starts to hit you. And, and you're right, it's it's this constant, you know, sometimes it's a it's an acute thing where, you know, for example, when I sit down for a meal, I have to count or, or estimate the amount of carbohydrates in that meal and then take an appropriate amount of insulin to offset or, or balance those carbohydrates. And that's like, that's not a natural way of how humans should eat or enjoy food, right? It, it may, it turns it instead of an enjoyable meal, it's a math calculation. And then after that calculation, a, a few hours later, I'm evaluating, did I do it right or not? And so it's this perfectionism trap that you're constantly evaluating how, how well you did or didn't do. And a lot of diabetes is a mind game, right? You, you figure out the mechanics very quickly, but then how do you keep your mind in a place where you're not just constantly beating yourself up for not doing good enough, or you're not micromanaging things so much on a daily basis that you're driving yourself crazy. We understand a lot about diabetes, but there's still so much about the human body that's just a, a magnificent mystery that you can do everything right and still not get the results you're expecting. Those are the hard parts to cope with, right? Where you're just like, man, 
I did everything I was supposed to do and and I still, you know, I'm still not in the place I'm supposed to be and that's those are those are tough. How I'm curious how has your relationship changed from when you were a child with diabetes to now that idea of always having it on your mind being an area of focus that you can almost never turn off because I'm sure it it's spinning its wheels in your head almost uncontrollably at times. As the journey has gone on, there's there's an acceptance and although it's a cycle of acceptance, right? So it's it's not something that I've accepted just once and then I'm like, okay, mm. cool, here it is and, and I'm good with it. It's this constant cycle of acceptance, right? So especially in those cases where, where I've done everything right and I still didn't get the results I was expecting, that's another kind of cycle of, of acceptance that I have to go through and, and understand. I think there's there has to be kind of a kindness and a gentleness towards myself, knowing that I'm going to have times where I'm in a funk and I'm and I'm just not feeling it. And, you know, I can go through those and experience that as part of a normal part of living with diabetes and, and know that that's okay. And know that you know, as long as I don't stay there for too long, I, I'm going to come back out of it and, and get back to normal. Especially the cycle of acceptance piece, I think, and the self-compassion are both super powerful, super powerful in my opinion. And even when I, or when we started talking, I, I was thinking we're speaking from, here's Scott, he's conquered diabetes and, and you know, <laughs> now we're going to talk about his victory lap around, and it's, and you know, you got into immediately that it's not accept and be done, it's learn to have the muscle of knowing how to accept challenges that continue to arise. Yeah. It's, it's training that skill. Acceptance isn't a checkbox. It's a skill that you mm -hmm. have. Let's touch on that a little bit, right? Because I think this is very interesting. And I very much don't feel like I have diabetes figured out. Like it's, it's a, it is a work in progress. This is so interesting to me about diabetes and like the energy that it takes. So there are goals that are set by the, you know, doctors and the, the American Diabetes Association, et cetera, et cetera, that say, okay, you you should have your your average blood sugars, and, and that's kind of our what we look at in diabetes is blood sugars. You should have your average blood sugars at this. And there's this this three month check that they can do at the doctor's office called an A1C that gives you an average number for your three month average blood sugar. And so let's say you buckle down and you are like, all right, I'm really going to nail this three months. I'm going to I'm going to do so good and I'm going to reach this goal. Right. And you just you summon all your energy together and and you do it. Right. So you reach that goal, but you don't really get to back off and celebrate. The focus just has to shift now. Right. From reaching that goal to staying at that goal. That's exhausting. It's because that's a forever thing. It's and it's so that's the part where finding ways to be to get smarter or more efficient around daily habits that uh, that help you reach that goal or stay at that goal because it's not sustainable to to summon up this massive amount of energy and willpower to to hit that goal because it's the goals never end it's an it's an always thing i see such a strong parallel with meditation too there i mean they call it a meditation practice because you're never done practicing and we've said that time and time again on this mm. podcast but there is no goal that you reach one day and that's it you're done it's just about yeah. finding ways slowly you know make it a little easier and easier to stay in that place to maintain and like you said you're always trying to learn and listen to new ways how can i kind of keep that baseline same with meditation it's like wow my mind is going crazy right now after a while of meditating that muscle starts to work on its own and mm -hmm. i'm sure some of those lifestyle habits that you develop help just regulate your day-to-day -day a little bit 
Yeah, I think that's a great comparison because it's also, you know, you're balancing what else is going on in your life right now. Those demands are going to shape your focus and your priorities and the energy you have to apply towards your meditation practice or your diabetes management practice. Taking it back to one of your earlier comments about acceptance doesn't end up being an excuse to not strive for something better, though, either. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. You're still looking for ways to learn, and it's it's not a reason not to learn. I think acceptance, if I were to break it down more, is, is just super closely tied to the self yeah compassion. It's basically not beating yourself up over it. That You know what? I did my best and I am trying to learn and I am putting my effort there. There is still an effort. Yeah. The results will be what they, they'll be because sometimes it's uncertain and uncontrollable. Can you do the best you can with the tools you have? And if you're okay with that, then it should feel like enough. But that is so hard to actually yeah. follow up on. Yeah, very well said. Especially when you have a scorecard, like a, yeah. like this A1C or all the, especially when you have a, a, an objective. I mean, so many people come up against this in life in general, just like the challenges, struggling to accept those challenges, but it, it becomes even more amplified when you have a measurable number that you're not meeting. It's a scorecard that that is quote unquote assessed by someone who doesn't have the full context of the situations of that scorecard, right? So you go in and sit with a an endocrinologist or a diabetes specialist or a, a doctor, whoever's helping you manage your diabetes, and they take a look at this at this scorecard and they I don't think they really judge us but our internal mind as someone living with diabetes is like well they're judging they're judging us right this this one number encapsulates how well I have done over the past 3 months they don't know the full story of how hard we've tried or not tried or whatever. And then because of the way that our doctor's offices and visits are set up, we have to zoom in on all the problem spots. And we spend a lot of time looking at the negative aspects, mm. which is, that's hard to wrap our minds about around, but it's, a, it's actually a perfect way to spend those appointments because when you're with an expert, you need the help with those problem spots. So it's, it's tricky. It's, diabetes is, is, is so much about the mind. Another huge parallel there, we, we were meeting with Dr. Michael Klein, and he was telling us about this maladaptive threat system that we've developed as humans, where we used to be running from saber-toothed tigers. And now every time we open our email, we have the same response that we would have from a saber-toothed tiger being in that email. And it, it doesn't help us anymore. This focus on the negative used to help us out in nature when we were surviving. And now it's hurting us day to day. You nailed it. It's the same thing. It sounds like when you walk into a doctor's office and they're like, here's the 10 things you did wrong. Constantly encountering that experience. Have you had to develop a lot of self-love, like self-compassion practices where it's like, okay, yeah, I did do those things. That's where we can grow, get better. But I love myself. Here's why. So one, a big recognition of, of seeing that I have limited time with this expert, with this diabetes expert, as nice as it would feel to, to spend that appointment in warm, fuzzy, self-loving, <laughs> compassionate, you know, Scott, listen, I know you did great. You know, you tried so hard, but here's, you know, <laughs> like that's not the most effective, right. beneficial, helpful like it won't help me. It, I mean, it would help me, but it won't. It won't help me as much as I need it, right? So if I have, if I have ten minutes with this specialist to have a real nuts and bolts discussion of things I can do differently with my diabetes on a daily basis, please don't 
don't look at and reinforce the, the gray areas. Let's zoom in on the yeah. problem spots. And so kind of shifting that, that it's not a critique of, of me as a person, but it is, it's my, my pancreas. It's my, it's diabetes, right? So, and the pancreas is, is the main thing that's, that's broken in someone with type one diabetes. And so being able to, to recognize that shift and make the most of my, my time with diabetes specialists and then look for other sources for that warm, fuzzy, feel-good stuff, right? I turn to to my peers and colleagues in the social media space. I have, I work with a therapist. I'm practicing meditation as much as I can and all those other pieces. But when I've got my time with my diabetes specialist, like, yes, please, let's zoom in on the most horrible mm. parts of my diabetes that we can find and, and try and smooth them out a bit. Community awareness. It's beautiful. That's really the staples, right? Of that self-love is finding the support and the connection around you and and then looking inward and really finding out how you feel about these things that you're experiencing. Also like recognizing the many areas of help that are available, right? So you wouldn't you wouldn't talk to a car mechanic if your kitchen sink is plugged, right? Like that's just the wrong that's the wrong expert. Trying to find what are the experts in your support circle and what can they do for you and how you use them the best. All of this is something that can be extrapolated even if you're not a person living with diabetes. There's so many nuggets in there, right? You're going to the doctor's office and you have to set your expectations mm -hmm. and also be open to receiving help. And yeah. that's another whole like that's another whole set of skills that I, you know, I feel from you. I I get a general feeling when I'm working with you like, "Oh, Scott's tapped into something. I don't know what it is." But I, like, I think that's another part of the acceptance, but also the willingness to receive help, willingness to be helped. And that requires so much vulnerability and acceptance of that as well. And, you know, as someone not living with a chronic ailment, I don't get as many at bats with these challenges. And so when I have to receive help, it's a big pain. It's like, it's like a whole mountain that I have to climb because I've never climbed that mountain before. And it's like, no one helps me. I'm invincible. I'm, you know. Well, we do it at work a lot, right? Like we do. So it's a, if we, if we transition a, a little bit and think about just feedback on projects. So there's an art, it's difficult. It's a skill to give feedback and it's a skill to receive feedback. And it's scary. It's terrifying to take work you've done and ask for feedback. But I think at our at our workplace, there's there's a culture of, of feedback is important and feedback is well-intentioned and that has helped us all become a little bit better at, at asking for feedback and it's it's always sharpening our skills at giving and receiving. And I think that I've learned the value of that feedback culture as I've seen work that I thought was good in the first place just become that much better through collaboration with peers and other perspectives. It's very exciting when you can open up your world to receiving input and help from others. And I think that's a it's a practice, right? That's also a practice. You've had a lot of practice on it and I can tell because, you know, I've I had the privilege of working with you on a few projects and I was telling Reed, it's the way you communicate. It's so gentle. It's so loving. I can tell that you're just a special human. You know, you have this ability to really like provide feedback in a soft, gentle way. And so it's very clear that you've done a lot of the work there. And so to Reed's point, maybe some of your life has provided you this 
repetition, these reps, and now you're you're a vet. You're so good at it. It's really a pleasure to work with you and like learn from you just through email interaction even. Thank you. There are people that I look up to, I feel have taught me a lot in feedback. There's a, a colleague we used to work with named Kyle, who is one of the most thoughtful people that I know and is extremely skilled at giving feedback and receiving feedback. And I, I worked with him for many years when the team was very small and learned a lot of really powerful lessons from Kyle on, on feedback. I also think that I'm a learner and I want to keep improving skills that I have because you're never like you're never done, right? So I think I, I still feel like I have a lot to learn on feedback, giving and receiving. And uh, But but thank you for the, those kind words. And it's also a journey together, right? So you have to be working with people who are also open to feedback, which you very much were. I, I'm reading I'm reading this book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. It's a it's an old book. It's been around for a long time, but it just recently hit my radar. And there was a line in there talking about when someone gives an artist feedback that hits the mark, there's this this kind of aha moment with the person receiving the moment where it's not they're like, yeah, you know, yes, I see how that can make my work better. And they get excited about it because it it feeds the art, it feeds the project versus general criticism that's just that doesn't help anything, but it's just kind of blah, right? So working together is powerful. To receive feedback, I think you really have to have a strong foundation, right? Because when we don't receive feedback well, I mean, at first, I think there's like productive feedback and then there's destructive feedback. But saying that it's productive feedback and it gets received poorly, it has a lot to do with someone's insecurities, how they feel about themselves, right? Because if they're feeling anxious or you know insecure about something within them and then they get this feedback, take it really personally. They don't even hear the feedback and the feedback is being presented to help that person grow. So it's almost like you have to conquer this internal aspect of collaborating and being with yourself. And once you do that, like you said, you can really level up and elevate. And all that feedback is these outside perspectives on ways that maybe you can grow. And so like once you can organize yourself and receive that, sky's the limit. Yeah, it's it's um well, you said a lot there. You said a lot of really powerful things because you have to be as someone receiving the feedback strong enough to stand on your foundation because there's going to be feedback that comes that's complete crap. It's not going to help your project and it's not constructive and and you have to be strong enough as your person, as your artist, as your whatever to say, "Okay, thank you for that, but that just just doesn't apply in this case." But you also have to be kind of humble enough to look at feedback that comes and explore it, right? With that critical mind and and kind of think through, like, does this, how can I apply this? Are there any nuggets of, of useful information in that feedback and, and can it help? I think on the foundation piece and tying it back into the diabetes narrative, for anyone to be secure in their foundation, it starts with you, but it also, I feel for me, calls back to the community aspect and having a really strong group of people to keep you centered and to keep everything in perspective, just perspective in general. That's something that I find amazing and I had no idea about before working at MySugar is this this whole community of people living with diabetes. And for those that are listening still, that is one of the big takeaways. Scott and others taught me that you shouldn't call someone a diabetic, but rather a person living with diabetes because we don't want to define people by this illness, that they're not a diabetic. That's so reductive. Anyways, to bring it to the community piece, I was amazed at how strong the diabetes community is. And the people living with diabetes are just so connected via 
Instagram, social media, and in-person summer camps and calling it back to your encounters receiving feedback from, from doctors. One of the things you mentioned was you don't go to the doctor for the warm fuzzy stuff. You get that from your community. And I think that's key to being able to receive feedback is just having this foundation secured by a community. And it's so amazing that you are a participant and a leader in the community of people living with diabetes. And I don't know, any thoughts on the community piece? It's uh, the community is very, very powerful. And I don't see myself as a, as a leader in that space because it's there. I don't, I don't feel like there are leaders, right? It's just the community. Every, every person's a leader in that space. Every story has so much power. In the early days, when I would look for information on diabetes on the internet, you would find the, some snippets from the medical textbooks and you would find information on the scary things that go wrong with diabetes. But you wouldn't find examples and stories of people living lives and doing things and conquering amazing goals and and all that and the power of story with diabetes from all these amazing people in the community has changed that right so now when you google diabetes you're finding thousands hundreds of thousands maybe millions of stories of people living well with diabetes and there's still all the medical stuff if you need that we've changed what google reports when someone searches for diabetes the future is a brighter place because of that it's also i think the the amazing power of perspectives, right? So being able to to know that, you know, I'll tell my story and as many stories as I have out there, my stories don't match what everyone needs. And the fact that there are other people telling stories that people who need those stories can, maybe someone else's story resonates with another person better than mine does. And, and thank God there's those other stories out there because people... Like people need diversity and variety and, and perspectives and things like that. So I hope the community continues to grow and, and that there are more different avenues and channels. And mm. if I were to wish for one thing in that is that there'd be more. Just keep growing. Well, maybe they'll listen to this podcast and find their <laughs> way. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that idea. Scott, it was such a privilege speaking with you, learning more about you, hearing your story. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah, I love so many of the parallels that we found through, you know, you living with diabetes and trying to make sense of all of that and how there's the listening and, and the curiosity and the learning that's really been essential for you in your story. So thank you so much for joining us and taking the time. Where can people find you? So uh, my diabetes blog is at scottsdiabetes.com and then on most of the other social media platforms, uh, Twitter, Instagram, for example, it is simply at Scott K. Johnson. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to come on to the show. I, I really enjoyed it. Great discussion. And uh, it's an honor to honor to share the share the podcast with you. Thank you. Awesome. We'll link all those in the show notes below. Thank you, as always, for taking the time to spread some awareness. And we'll see you guys back next time.